in television. I was the head writer and an executive producer for a show called Full Frontal with Samantha Bee for a couple years. We wrote about the Great news. Show. Oh, thank you. I loved working on it. It was a dream job for me. It was, you know, even back when Sam was on The Daily Show, I used to watch and think like, oh, I want more of her. I wish she had her own show and I wish I could write for it. So it was really a dream come true, but it was also incredibly hard. And I was very stressed a lot of the time and just like had a lot of anxiety about the world. It was very hard for me to power down because I was watching the news all day. And so at night, to kind of like be able to sleep, I would read Pride and Prejudice before bed. And that's when I really started sort of like thinking about the character of Lydia. I think also because my day job, so much of it was about like looking at the news from, the fe from a feminist point of view and looking at like women who get the short end of the stick in society in one way or the other. It really made me like pay more attention to Lydia and her story started to take shape in my mind. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. One of the elements of storytelling that we love is when a writer takes a classic tale and reimagines it, giving readers a glimpse at familiar stories and beloved characters, but through a new lens. Our guest today has created a stunning and fresh take on Pride and Prejudice in her just-released novel, The Scandalous Confessions of Lydia Bennett, Witch. I am Ron Block, and so excited for this. <laughs> and I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. Our guest, Melinda Taub, is an Emmy and Writers Guild Award-winning writer. The former head writer and executive producer of Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, she is also the author of Still Star-Crossed, a young adult novel which was adapted for television by Shondaland. She also wrote that thing about the Baroness and the Sound of Music that your aunt likes. So we're going to ask her <laughs> more about that later. She lives in Brooklyn. Welcome to the podcast, Melinda. We are so excited to talk about your amazing new book. Thanks, Christy. It's so nice to be here. It's great. Wonderful to have you. I can't wait to dive in. Here we go. So congratulations on this. It's really an original and captivating story. And I, the word that came to me this morning was enchanting as well. So oh, for those who might not be familiar yet, can you tell us what the book is about? So the book is about one of the smaller characters from Pride and Prejudice. For those who are familiar with Pride and Prejudice, the central character is Elizabeth Bennett, one of, one of literature's greatest heroines, yes. I think. And she has four sisters, and they all sort of have a role to play in the plot. And her youngest sister is also the wildest one and the one who gets in the most trouble and causes the most trouble for the rest of the family. So she does not she is not traditionally thought of as people's favorite character in the book. <laughs> She's kind of impulsive and wild and breaks a lot of rules and not in a cool heroic way, but in kind of a selfish way. But in the course of the book, there are going to be some spoilers for Pride and Prejudice here. Yes. Lydia 
the youngest character, the youngest sister, is she is 15 when the book starts. She is 16 when it concludes. And by the time the book concludes, she has been married off to a guy who everyone agrees is a really bad guy and won't doesn't have any money and won't take good care of her. Um, and he's around 28 or 29. So her character has always sort of bothered me because on the one hand, Jane Austen does an amazing job of making her annoying. So you, you don't have a ton of sympathy for her when you're reading Pride and Prejudice generally, but also when you sort of stop and think about it, her fate is really awful and really not something that like, you know, however annoying a 16 year old is, we would never punish them by marrying them to a guy nearing 30. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so sort of when, when Pride and Prejudice concludes, she's heading off to a life that's going to be pretty difficult. But all of Jane Austen's books sort of take place in this very narrow sliver of polite, wealthy society. And the plot of most of her books is sort of about the characters doing their best not to fall out of that sliver of polite society, not to fall out of that privileged bubble. And it's, it's hard. And Lydia does fall out. Uh, she's kind of on her way out at the end of Pride and Prejudice, and she's going to have a really hard life. But she's also probably going to see stuff outside that bubble that her sisters never will see, even the ones who made really good marriages. And so that sort of got me thinking on, I don't know, the 37th or 38th time I read Pride and Prejudice <laughs> about whether, you know, what if Lydia had always had a foot outside that bubble? What if she, this character who sort of like makes subtext text and says what's on her mind, what if she always was seeing more than the narrow view that we get in Pride and Prejudice. And then that started, started me thinking about like, what if it was, what if it was a magical world? And then I was off to the races. Definitely off to the races. Yep. Well, we are dying to know how the idea to take on this project kind of first materialized. Like if there was like, I mean, I know you just sort of mentioned it, but if there was like a little spark, you know how sometimes we get that little like, Ooh, this is the mm -hmm. moment. I mean, a reimagining of Pride and Prejudice can seem really daunting. I mean, obviously, you know, this is a really big thing to take on and obviously a really beloved uh, novel that, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I won't generalize, but I mean, I think I can generalize and say pretty much everyone has read Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> if you've read a book, you've probably read Pride and Prejudice. So tell us about the journey of this book from that first little spark of idea to publication. So... I used to work in television. I was the head writer and an executive producer for a show called Full Frontal with Samantha B for a couple of years. We wrote about the Great news. Show. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I loved working on it. It was a dream job for me. It was, you know, even back when Sam was on the Daily Show, I used to watch and think like, "Oh, I want more of her. I wish she had her own show and I wish I could write for it." So it was really a dream come true, but it was also incredibly hard. And I was very stressed a lot of the time and it just like had a lot of anxiety about the world. It was very hard for me to power down because I was watching the news all day. And so at night to kind of like be able to sleep, I would read Pride and Prejudice before bed. And that's when I really started sort of like thinking about the character of Lydia. I think also because my day job, so much of it was about like looking at the news from the, fe from a feminist point of view and looking at like women who, get the short end of the stick in society in one way or the, the other, it really made me like pay more attention to Lydia. Um, yeah. And her story started to, to take shape in my mind. 
So did you have like a moment where you went, I'm going to turn this into a book? (laughs) I think I had a lot of those moments. The first one was years and years ago. I went back recently and it was like, it was maybe like 2018. I instant messaged my sister and I said, like, what if I wrote a, a fantasy book about Lydia Bennett and also Kitty was a cat? And then, but then I was, uh, I was still working in TV and I would have loved to start writing on the novel, but I had no bandwidth for it at all. So it wasn't until I left a few years later that I really started um, working on the book. That's awesome. Tell us about the title and the, the structure of the book, because it's really kind of unique the way you put the story out there. Yeah, the title, I'm always worried that it's too long. It's a lot of words, but I really, we really wanted to sort of capture Lydia's voice. The book is almost entirely in first person, written by Lydia, as if she's sort of defensively justifying <laughs> her own story, as she tells it. And so she seems like someone who would love to say that, she would love to call her memoirs the scandalous confessions. And so that had to be in there. And in terms of the structure, you, do you mean like the dual timelines? The dual timelines, but also like the decision to actually write it as though she were writing a novel. Uh, yeah, that kind of, I feel like my writing doesn't take me by surprise all that often. I'm a fairly deliberate writer, but that decision kind of came out of nowhere. I was visiting my family in London and I went down to Sussex for a couple days just to kind of decompress, do some writing. And I wrote... I. I started writing on my journal on the train down and I I just like wrote the first sentence of the book uh, and it was in first person. And I was kind of like, that's weird, but I kept going with it. And it, her voice just came to me so easily that I just kind of didn't question it and kept going with it. I think when I had written like 20 or 30 pages, I kind of stepped back and I was like, is this too different from Pride and Prejudice? You know, a first person narrative is pretty different from almost all Jane Austen books, but I decided I wanted it to be different. You know, Pride and Prejudice is in the third person. It's a third person that's generally pretty close to Elizabeth's point of view. The way I sort of thought of it when I was writing is like, maybe this narrator, maybe the narrator of Pride and Prejudice is Elizabeth Bennet a few years down the line because it seemed, the narrator seems to know the things that an older and wiser Elizabeth would know um, and to feel basically, to basically share her opinions about things. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense because Elizabeth you know, she is famously, can be a little judgmental, but essentially she is a pretty thoughtful, careful character. And she thinks, she she tries pretty hard to take other people's perspective. Doesn't always succeed, but she does try to do that. So <laughs> third person makes sense. Yes. And Lydia doesn't try to do that. Lydia is a child, basically. She's 15 when the book starts and not an old 15. And she definitely matures over the course of my book, but like, she's still, she's still Lydia. She still says whatever comes into her head. She still sort of like sees things. I, I, I sort of think of her as selfish, but in the way a baby is selfish. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like naive. Like someone that doesn't know better. You don't really fault her for it necessarily. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. I, so I just thought first person made sense because- she is someone who is very focused on herself. Yeah, no, it, it works because it's just, she's, she's telling us her story from her perspective, and we're getting it. Because I think people that have read Jane Austen a lot don't don't see the world the way Lydia sees it. But you yeah. kind of gave her a voice for that. 
<laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Um, it's a hard balance because, you know, I love Jane Austen and I've read all her books. And when you're taking a character who isn't the most beloved, mm-hmm. I, I definitely like have one of the things that keeps me up at nights is our Pride and Prejudice fans going to like accept this version of Lydia. And I really hope they do. Mm. I think we totally will. Well, in the acknowledgments of this book, you talk about doing a great deal of research, which is very obvious, you know, when you're reading that you, that you did that. So can you give us a glimpse into the work of getting this book right? Yeah, I'll try. I have to say, so one of the things that I learned to do when I was working in TV was to learn a ton about a topic every week and read everything I could find about it and write a show about it. And then the second that show aired, it was all gone from my brain to make room for the next one. So (laughs) I'm now working on another book. I don't totally remember everything I used for research for this one, but I can talk about it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about researching a Regency era book is there is a lot of research out there, a lot of, a lot of resources because this is such a popular genre. There are tons of books and websites about what people ate and how they traveled and how they slept and where they went to the bathroom and what they wore and all that stuff that you need to really ground a book. Yeah. So I think I used every one of those books. And one thing I found, I, 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 I tried to weave this book into Pride and Prejudice itself so it sort of fits in the cracks as much as possible. So I used this timeline that I found. I found it originally on a website called Pemberley.com, but I think it was actually older than that. I think it was some maybe like early 20th, 20th century scholars put it together, actually. They have like a very detailed timeline of what happened on what day in Pride and Prejudice, like down to like August 11th. Wow. That is so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is it is so detailed and so accurate. They actually caught Jane Austen in a mistake in in the like... In the, in the sort of like last little section of the book, when a lot is happening every day between when like Jane writes to Elizabeth to tell her to come home because Lydia's run off through the end of the book, there is one day, I think it pertains to one of Jane's letters to Elizabeth, where the date that it's, the date that it's given in the book could not be, doesn't fit with the timeline of the book. Like the date on the letter is too late. And so there's a note in the timeline that's something like, in the book, this says it happened on August 2nd, but we think it actually happened on, you know, July 21st. And <laughs> they sort of give her the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> they said, maybe she meant it to be a mistake because Jane was so upset. Wow. Could be, could be. In addition to the research, of course, there's the original work. Can you talk about, because you did this really well. I mean, you were so adept at honoring the original but still giving this, this whole new slant. Can you talk about like weaving those two together and, and adding magic? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, the, the, this book, like in some ways it was like, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was one of the easier big projects I've ever done because it just sort of like seemed to flow very naturally. I knew I wanted it to kind of like be a response to Pride and Prejudice, not a rebuttal, but kind of in conversation with it. And I know that book so well, and I love it so much um, that it's sort of, I, I would just go for long walks every day and think about where I was in the Pride and Prejudice timeline and think about like, what do I need Lydia to do to keep her true to the Lydia of Pride and Prejudice, but also show that 
we didn't see every part of her. That's and for I sure. love fantasy books, <laughs> and it just seemed like a really fun way to kind of to open that window and have it be not just darker, but also more, but also fun to sort of add something rather than just taking something away from Pride and Prejudice. That's awesome. So we're obviously, you know, we're coming up into our spooky season of the year. Mm-hmm. And obviously this is a book about witches and magical cats, which totally intrigues me because I don't know, maybe I think all cats are kind of magical in their own little way. They've all got something going on underneath the surface, but I'm interested in, I mean, you've, you've touched on this a little bit, but did you go into this story knowing like, okay, I'm going to have this sort of like spooky, fantastical element, or was there something in, in particular that inspired this part or may, maybe like a, something that you wanted to speak to by kind of giving Lydia these, you know, powers. And also, are you a cat lover? <laughs> Um, I love cats a lot, but they make me a little sneezy. So okay, so yeah, yeah. that's tough. yeah. yeah I have a good. dog, but no cats. I had cats growing up. I loved them. Yeah, I mean, I think the cat thing in particular—that was one of the first things that I thought about when I was starting to plan the book, and it's one of the things that really made me want to write it. Because in Pride and Prejudice, Lydia and her sister Kitty are so tight, and they almost always appear as a pair. But Lydia is the one who really like drives the plot. Mm-hmm. And Kitty's sort of her her sidekick. So as soon as I knew I was writing a Lydia book, I was like, well, I have to, what does that mean for Kitty? If Lydia is a witch, is Kitty a witch too? And I was just immediately like, no, Kitty is a cat. Which is kind of genius. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I really wanted to. That really made me want to write it. <laughs> uh, the relationship of pet and owner and sisters is like similar in some ways, I think. I think my dog thinks that I'm her sister, yeah. maybe not even her older sister. Mm-hmm. So I knew I would have a lot of fun with that. I love that. So I want to ask a little bit about your process. You've kind of touched on this, but did you go into it with a with a plan or did, did it just kind of, you said it kind of flowed, but did you, did you have a structure already in mind before you began writing? I had less of a plan in mind for this than I have for anything I've ever written. Gotcha. I am usually very outline driven. I, wrote outlines even for like five minute TV segments. But with this, I think because I started writing it early in the pandemic and it was one of the first big projects that I did after leaving TV, I really enjoyed relaxing into like kind of surprising myself with what was going to happen next. I also like, I had something of an outline in the form of Pride and Prejudice. I knew whatever I wrote was going to have to kind of like use that as a trellis to grow on. But yeah, I didn't know until pretty late in the process who Lydia was writing to, for example. I was pretty sure, but I didn't know for sure. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen in Lydia's romantic relationships. And I really, yeah, it scared me to write that way, but I really loved it. It sounds like it's exciting. And, and it ended, so the ending was like not a plan in your head. It kind of came to you as, you as you wrote. Yeah, not at the beginning. I sort of as I got closer to it, I pretty much knew what was going to happen, but I did not know at the beginning what was going to happen. Because I did have several people I thought she was writing to, but then of course I was wrong. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you might've been right in a different version. Of That's the true. <laughs> in another draft, Ron, you nailed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Melinda, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but you were the head writer and executive producer of Full Frontal with Samantha B. And obviously there are some, 
pretty major differences between TV writing and novel writing. So can you tell us, was there anything that you took away from your TV writing experience that helped you in your novel writing? And then do you prefer one over the other? We won't tell. It'll be ours. (laughs) We won't tell. I think the main thing you learn writing for a show like the one I wrote for is not to be too precious. We had a show every week and it it had to be taped whether it was my favorite thing I'd written ever or not. And it was, you know, we all worked incredibly hard to make it as, as good as it could be, of course. But I think it really, it teaches you to be tough. It teaches you that like, you can write when you're tired. You can write when you're sick. You can write when you're upset. And probably whatever notes your editor had on your book seemed like nothing. <laughs> I think editors are like, I, I've worked with amazing editors on this book and, and amazing editors generally. And I, I think that they they are amazingly tactful. I think they, they're very good at like talking to authors and showing them showing them that they really like your book while also giving notes. Absolutely. But I'm a little bit like, just give me the notes, dude. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, but like, I'm very be- used to getting notes. Yeah, because don't you feel like that? Like that's I think that's a huge difference between, I mean, in my very limited TV experience, I feel like the editing process is very different. Like in TV, it's it's constant and it's coming at you, and there's no like, well, we really loved this, but what about like there's not time. It's like <laughs> there is not time. Yeah. We I just love your editor up. voice. <laughs> <laughs> so gentle. I like the I like the like, well, I loved this. But do you think that maybe I, I, I really like that? It's good for my ego. <laughs> it's lovely, but also I was a head writer, which is sort of like being an editor, and I'm like, I know a shit sandwich when I see one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if I could say that on here. Yeah, I'm totally fine. Say anything you want. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I I mean when I was at Full Frontal, we would have the day of the taping, we would have a rewrite meeting for like about two hours with about 16 people in it. And we would go through the script line by line. Um, and anyone who had an issue with any part of it would speak up. And there were a lot of issues. So I think that definitely toughened me up. <laughs> and do I prefer one or the other? I mean, right now, I think I prefer writing novels. It's, uh, it's less stressful. <laughs> it can be isolating, but I really enjoy writing at my own pace. So that was something that I was really interested in from your point of view. I mean, it is so different to write with a team versus writing on your own. So I think for someone like me, who's used to that like solitary writing process, suddenly writing with a bunch of people can feel like, oh God, they're like all these voices. But I was wondering, but on the flip side of that, if you're stuck or you're at a point where you don't really know what's next or you're not really sure about something, you have all these other people to ask. So like, how did you kind of, how did that feel to you? Like going from, and I, I know this is not your only book. So, I mean, I'm, I'm aware, but just like, how does that feel for you? Kind of that like group think tank versus it's just me and the page. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely missed it. It is great. It, it, it's exhilarating to write with a group of people, especially when you're like punching up jokes and stuff. Yeah. And it's if it's a group of people you trust, it's also really wonderful because you don't have to be batting a thousand every week. Right. You're a team and sometimes one person is taking the lead and sometimes another person is. And you can't do that with a novel. Uh, right. You have to write the whole thing. Nobody does any of it for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a pain. 
Yeah, I think the novel doesn't give the instant gratification that working in a group setting yeah. does. My sort of hack for that is usually about every 10 or 20,000 words, I send a chunk to my older sister to read. That's what I did with a Lydia book. And that was very helpful because she she's a very talented writer as well. And so she would occasionally give me notes, but she was also just vocal about wanting to know what happened next. And, and that little bit of pressure kept me writing. Good. Did you set out to have, because there's so many layers of feminism in the book, I think, giving voices to these characters that they might not have in a world that doesn't really appreciate their brain so much. And did you set that out to, to do that? Or is did that kind of just naturally happen? I think that just naturally happened. I'm sort of, I'm trying not to tag the book too boldly as a feminist book, because I think in a lot of ways, Pride and Prejudice is a sort of proto-feminist mm-hmm. book. Sure. And I don't want to say that I'm disputing that or anything. But I, th- I think that just the, the kind of writer that I am, those are always going to be themes in my books and in anything that I write. Yeah, feminism is just in my brain. Gotcha. <laughs> That's good. I love it. Well, we are sure that a lot of our listeners are familiar with Still Star-Crossed, a Shondaland production based on your YA novel. So I'm interested, how involved were you in that adaptation? Um, I really was not very involved at all. That's it's, it's becoming more common, I think, for novelists to be more involved as you know co-producers or whatever when their stuff gets adapted. But that's fairly recent. Okay. It used to be a lot more common that if you sold the rights to your work, it just, somebody else bought them and went off and made it. Right. And I also, when that show, so I, I had a weird day in, um, I think 2015, I had one day where I found out that I got a writing job at Sam B's new show. And I found out that still Starcrossed was going to be made. It was very, yeah. (laughs) I like it. I was in the college humor offices where I was working at the time. And I sent an instant message to my friend just to be like, I, I told her what was up, but over instant message, because I was like, I can't speak out loud right now. <laughs> I'm not sure I can breathe. It's incredible. So those two things really hit my life at the same time. And I did not, I, you know, I don't even know if it would have been an option, but I did not push to be involved in the still star cross production really, because I was very caught up in the full frontal job and it was everything I wanted to focus on. That's great though. Yeah. It was a crazy day. <laughs> I, bet, I, bet, I bet. So we have to know, we mentioned this at the beginning in our introduction of you and I Googled this and started laughing my head off when I read it, but can you tell the listeners about the, the letter you wrote from the Baroness from the sound oh. of music? <laughs> it is hysterical. Oh, thank you. That was another thing. So so this is a McSweeney's piece that I wrote over 10 years ago now, I think, um, that is called something like, I regret to inform you that my wedding to Captain Von Trapp has been canceled. And it's by the other woman, the Baroness in The Sound of Music, who gets dumped for the singing nun. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think that sort of comes from a similar place that the Lydia book comes from. And in some ways, my, my desire to write for Sam comes from of like just seeing a female character who's a little bit off to the side and just thinking like I want more of her I want to know what her deal is I want her to be in the center and yeah I I I wrote that I think I 
was goofing off one day, not writing whatever I was supposed to be writing, um, mm-hmm. and just like watching clips from The Sound of Music online. And then I went to bed and then just like sat up two hours later and went and wrote that piece, which is just <laughs> sort of like from her point of view. Yeah, I just think she kind of gets a raw deal. She's sort of positioned in the script as if she's the wicked stepmother. But when you actually watch it, she doesn't do anything bad. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but she has a wit about her, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and style. And, so yeah. great. For definitely style, for sure. I mean, they are real foils if you've ever <laughs> if you've ever seen them. Okay, so Melinda, TV, YA, adult fiction, you can obviously just do it all. So mm-hmm. I think this is like when you're about to give birth and someone asks you when you're going to have your next baby. But <laughs> have, have do you like I'm not even saying have you started anything or do you know what's next but like do you think you'll you'll stick with adult fiction or are you like So I am I am working on a novel now that is a companion to the Lydia novel actually. Okay. okay. Oh. It is about another Bennett sister. It is in a pretty different genre than the Lydia book. Cool. I think if this, if I'm, if I'm calling it a series, I think if it has a, a thesis, it's that everyone around you is, is living in their own story and you don't really know unless they tell you. And it might not, it might be very different than the story that you're living and it might even be in a like completely different genre. So this one is in a different genre. Great. I, I love that. I, I, I think it's all such a huge playground for you to, to do stuff in. So you can, there's a lot of room there for you to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing world and so many people love it. And it's just a delight to play in it. Yes. So exciting. Okay. Well, before we let you go, can you tell us where our listeners can find you online and on the road in the coming weeks and months? Yes. I am on Twitter at Melinda Taub, or X as I guess we're now calling it. Right. <laughs> Same handle on Instagram, at Melinda Taub. And if your listeners happen to be in Brooklyn, we're having a launch event at Barnes & Noble Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn on October 3rd. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Melinda, we are so excited for this book. We know it's going to be a huge hit and that our listeners are going to absolutely love it. So thank you so much for joining us. We loved the book. Thank you for having me. We know everyone's going to be racing out to get their copy and congratulations to you on a job really well done. Really well <laughs> oh, thank done. you so really, much. Really good. really good book. Thank you. Wonderful talking to you guys. And thank you to our listeners. If you'd like to buy a copy of The Scandalous Confessions of Lydia Bennett, which... Please visit our Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page to get your own copy. Support our beloved indie bookstores and save a little money. Please be sure and tell a friend and join us next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.